You've all heard the saying, there is no I in team. Well, that's partly correct. But we each bring a unique perspective and experience when working as a team. So it can be viewed as a collective group of eyes that work together to build a team of success. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks. How to get it just right. With host Dr. Cass Henry. In today's program, we'll uncover the tools of team success in order to achieve winning results. Now, here is Dr. Cass Henry. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks, How to Get It Just Right. I'm Dr. Cass Henry and look forward to spending another hour with you. Goldilocks optimizes balance, not being extreme, effectively finding the centeredness and leading from the middle towards reaching goals by getting it just right. We renew our discussion on the centeredness, exploring how one goes about building organizational cultures so that we build winning organizations. To help me with this conversation, I have a good friend of mine and a professional contact, Bill. Bill not only brings a whole world of experience to this conversation, but he is somebody I rely on in terms of getting my thought process centered He is very good at playing the devil's advocate and helping me think outside the box and helps me continuously transform my own thought process. Bill R. Stock is a practice leader at the global management consulting firm Maverick LLC. Bill is also the firm's co-practice director for mergers and acquisitions. In his role, he he continues to support Fortune 1000 companies. And lately, with engagements originating in the middle market segment, he is actually helping organizations how to bring that cultural integration to create a winning strategy and execution. Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you, Cass. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. It is my great pleasure. Do you want to take a moment and tell our audience about Maverick and how you got started with Maverick and bringing the psychological and the strategic part into the transformational process of a merger and acquisition. Sure. We have about two hours for that uh, story. <laughs> no, you're going to have to do the cliff note version, Bill. <laughs> you want the elevator version. Yes. I was with a, another consulting firm uh, about 20, uh, 20-something years ago, and mm-hmm. uh, we were doing a lot of work for a utility out in the... Uh, far west in the uh, state of Washington. At that Uh time, utilities were being deregulated. They could go into non-core businesses. As such, they had retained our services, and I was working with their C-level people to look Mm -hmm. at alternative strategies, uh, typically in the wireless, telecom, and uh, similar uh, industries. Uh And in that process, over the course of three years, uh, I, along with my team, produced very thick, beautiful binders for different strategies, different acquisition uh, strategies, Mm -hmm. and each one got put on the shelf. We got paid handsomely. They were happy with the work, but they never pursued the strategy, and we did this over and over again over the course of about two and a half years. Mm -hmm. Finally, one day, I sat down with the senior vice president, and I said, hey, I'm not knocking the work, but you never follow through with our strategies, which you agree are great. What's going on? Uh And he looked at me and he said, Bill, 
I can't tell our people what to do anymore. I'll get so much pushback. I don't have resources. I don't have people. I don't have time. We're bogged down in something else. Give it to someone else. And Mm -hmm. that just raised my curiosity because in my past, I had never seen that before. Usually the companies I had been with, when the CEO said do something, they did it. And in this case, he was arguing that you just can't tell people what to do anymore. Okay. I asked him, what do you think the cure is? He said, well, I don't know, bring a psychologist in and get these people all <laughs> on the same page and get them involved. And so I took his advice. I talked to a lot of CEOs that I knew from very large public companies, and mm-hmm. I asked them, had they ever brought in industrial psychologists at the same time as the consulting firms that were doing operational changes? And the answer was always no. McKinsey might be invited in to do a engagement, and then after okay. McKinsey left, and people would be distraught and distressed and not sure where they stood in the company any longer, they'd bring in a bunch of psychologists to sort things out and calm the waters, if you will. Okay. It dawned on me that so bringing those two things together. Mm-hmm. Excuse me? It was being counterproductive. Exactly. So we decided on integrating it. We mm-hmm. started a company called Maverick, which bought the preceding, the, the precedent company, And in Maverick, we started from scratch to build a consulting firm that pioneered the integration of the management behavioral sciences. And in doing so, we only brought in professional, licensed, experienced clinical psychologists. And that's how Maverick got its start. Oh, that is such a wonderful story. Even in my practical experience, I have seen a lot of times where organizations spend all the money and do all the consulting work and nothing comes of it. And after a while, it becomes like the boogeyman. Anytime the company does an initiative, nobody believes that it's actually going to happen. That by itself creates a negative culture. Absolutely. A lack of follow-through or in the case where a consulting firm comes in and they leave what we call a a large wake of, of very unhappy employees behind them because those people are not part of the process. They're not part of the solution, they're considered to be, in many cases, part of the problem. And so by getting together with our psychologists and with our operational management consultants, we work from the very beginning to identify Mm -hmm. those people that are going to feel most threatened and those people that have a lot to gain by being advocates for us. And we get them into the process and we understand what their fears are. We understand Mm -hmm. from them where the impediments may be moving forward. And by addressing the people issues, as well as designing strategic operational changes, a lot more gets done, people are happier, and the culture becomes more and more embedded with every assignment, every retainer Mm -hmm. that we do at that company. People start to buy in on their own. They realize they're part of the solution, and it behooves them to work uh, both collaboratively with each other, mm-hmm. to respect each other, and to understand that mm-hmm. even if they don't have a voice, even if they don't have a vote, they do have a voice. Mm-hmm. And, and you bring up a good point. And as we start talking about culture and how a culture is built over time, fear and not knowing what is going on becomes the single largest toxic element in an organization. So how, how do you recommend organizations go about breaking those barriers, but at the same time, how do they think about what is the right culture? Culture is such a loaded word. And in an organization, what is the right culture? What is the right tone? 
And where does the senior management come in in setting the tone and creating an environment that breeds the right culture? Uh, to me, it's like the DNA, right? How do you build the right DNA? Well, that's, those are good questions. There's a lot of questions in there. And unfortunately, we don't yet have the CRISPR technology that can uh, cut and splice genes uh, available for the corporate world, make it a lot mm-hmm. easier. So the question is, first, we have to identify and define what culture means. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you ask different people what it means when you talk about organizational culture, you're going to get a lot of different answers. And I'm sure that in your experience, uh, particularly in the areas you work in, you've seen a lot of that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so when, when you identify what it means for culture, and I think depending upon the type of company, culture can mean different things, and none of them are wrong, none of them are more right. They just mm-hmm. define a different type of culture. And, of course, that's going to also be uh, true when you go internationally. And yes. I think I can, I can bring to bear one great example. Uh, many, many, many years ago, almost at Maverick start, uh, three decades ago, uh, mm-hmm. we became very involved with lean thinking, or it's also known as the Toyota way, which was yes. kind of mm-hmm. a competitor, I think you'll agree, to Six Sigma. And mm-hmm. a lot of companies, a lot of big consulting firms were getting into it in this country, and they were trying to apply the same tools and the same change management techniques that were being used in Japan, but it wouldn't work, and it didn't work, and their, their, their efforts were usually failures, and they mm-hmm. couldn't understand why it failed. And to us and to our psychologists, it was so obvious. Japan is a homogeneous society. Every, not everybody, but most people in Japan think the same way, have the same cultural background, and they move in unison. Whereas when you bring that to America, you're going to get lots of different people from lots of different backgrounds, from lots of different countries, from lo- even different parts of this country, you know, breeds mm-hmm. a different type of culture. Definitely. And so it, it failed. Lean thinking didn't take off as well as it should have, or, you know, initially. I think a lot of those problems have been addressed these days by some companies, but it still remains the truth that it's very hard to identify a single monolithic culture in a large company. And I think you and I talked about this, and you've seen the same thing I've seen. The CEO thinks that the company he runs has a particular culture, whatever that may mean to him. But mm-hmm. the fact is, you see microcultures, macrocultures throughout the company. Definitely. And in my experience coming from the international arena, every country has its own culture. Within those countries, if people have different languages, different religious background, different upbringing, there are subcultures within those cultures. And when you talk about an international financial organization, here is a great example I went to work for Standard Chartered Bank as a management trainee to drive the technology platform and do everything electronically in the supply chain and trade financing space. And it never occurred to me that the organization, here I was a 21, 22-year-old graduate straight out of college with a technology degree, And the way the company went about doing that change was never, ever educating the people on what this was going to look like. And we didn't have even ATM machines those days. So all people knew about technology was machines come to life, machine take over our lives, 
and they see movies, they read the English newspapers, which are from the Western world. And so they have their own uh, ideas of what this could be. And to add fuel to fire, it was also a part of the world where men can actually go and drink during the lunch hour. So they all went and had a couple of whiskeys and got each other riled up. And pretty soon we get a call. These guys showed up at the head of IT's office and set the house on fire. Now, this is a British bank. The entire upper echelon is British. And so we had already a cultural difference within the organization. And so here I am trying to figure out what is going to happen. How is the organization going to deal with this? Because I've never, ever even contemplated such a thing would happen in the workplace. But what the bank decided to do was really, really surprising. They had a meeting. They immediately decided that they are going to fly in from the different parts of the world, the right uh, psychological experts who are not only going to sit down and talk to people, also evaluate their technological skills and put a training program to build the transformational process. And the communication to us as, as the management team was, the fault is ours. We failed to communicate. Our failure to communicate created a vacuum that gave rise to fear. So there's not going to be anything punitive, but this is a lesson learned for everybody. We're going to wipe the slate clean and start fresh. That sounds like a, a fairly typical experience. But I would ask you this question. Mm-hmm. Within the management consulting group of which you were a part, mm-hmm. I'm willing to wager that you were the only high-ranking woman. Yes, Yes. And how did, how did that cultural diversity work within your team in terms of your ability to input direction, input ideas, and to execute your strategies? It's interesting you ask that question because I started as a young management trainee in the management hierarchy, but I was also in Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka is a culture where women have an equal place in the workplace. In fact, the first elected female head of state to the world came from Sri Lanka in 1960. So here I was in a British culture inside a Sri Lankan subculture, and I was able to influence my team of men mostly men, who were all over 45 years old. And most of the clerical team that was doing the work, they're all union workers in the way that society is set up. You start as a union worker and then you get promoted and become part of the management. And the union and the management is not in conflict with one another because everybody came through. Unionization was the rite of passage to become management. So it is a partnership. So I would say because of the geography I was in, And because of my ability to have the language and the cultural compatibility with the people who actually did the work, I had a voice. I had a voice, but I sometimes had to actually be assertive in making sure that my peers and my bosses heard my voice. Well, you had a very positive experience out of that. I'm going to move your question to the the present, and it's a situation Mm -hmm. where I'm not... uh, I don't have first-hand information, but it's been in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and several other uh, mm-hmm. reg- uh, regional and, and uh, national and international newspapers. And, and that is the, uh, the, the very, very strong push that China has been making in terms of their acquisition activity within the U.S. And in one case in particular, uh, they took over, and you may be aware of this particular story, they took over a uh, old GM plant in Ohio, 
and mm-hmm. that plant was then geared up to make windshields. And they bought out the company that uh, then moved into that facility that had been rehabbed. And at first, it was okay because they had American management overseeing American workers. But slowly but surely, the Chinese sent in their own senior-level managers, forcing Mm -hmm. out Americans or firing them. And that plant is now a hotbed of unionization, lawsuits, and Mm -hmm. diminished morale. The the cultural clash there is now in, in full spirit. And, and how it ends, nobody will really know uh, until it does. But clearly, the Chinese executives in this particular case underestimated the reception they would get when they, first of all, didn't abide by what apparently were the terms of the agreement, but also when they started to supplant Americans in their own country in a U.S.-built plant with their own uh, operations people. So it'll be interesting how that plays out, and it's going to play out a lot more uh, and it already is, particularly in auto manufacturing parts businesses in the South that were uh, bought and uh, managed by, uh, let's say, for instance, Korean companies. So it's a very interesting thing going on in the automotive business right now. Um, I remember uh, a situation early on in my consulting career. Hey, Bill, Bill, let's hold that thought and let's go into break, come back and pick this conversation up. Hold that thought. Sure thing. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. If you are looking for an outstanding keynote speaker, look no further than Dr. Cass Henry. Cass is available to speak to your company. She also offers organizational leadership development seminars and workshops. These seminars can integrate learning and development, customer service, processes and financial growth, positive, motivated employees, care about their customers and work products. Visit CassHenry.com or follow Dr. Cass Henry on Facebook. That's K-A-S-Henry.com for more information. Organizational training does not have to be a difficult job. Visit Dr. Cass Henry's site to find out more about her organizational training curriculum development and global organizational training webinars. These informative webinars cover leadership development, career path and succession planning, financial performance improvement and change management, and corporate finance. For more information, please visit CassHenry.com and follow Cass Henry on Facebook. That's K-A-S-Henry.com. Are you satisfied with your life? Do you know that more should be possible? Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the creators of Access, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane here. Our program offers pragmatic tools to change things in your life that you haven't been able to change until now. What if all of life could come to you with ease, joy, and glory? Tune in to Access Consciousness Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. listening to unleash your inner goldilocks how to get it just right 
To reach Dr. Cass Henry or her guest today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Henry at hotmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks, How to Get It Just Right. We were just having a interesting conversation with my guest, Bill. Bill, you were just talking about a specific example that uh, talks about a toxic culture where leadership style and the management style creates a very, very negative environment and nobody knows what the outcome is going to be. And that brought a thought to my head. Ultimately, people follow anybody who is able to evoke uh, some kind of following in them, right? And not all leaders are good leaders. How do organizations make sure they hire the right kind of person so that they are leading with the right intent in a positive way to build the positive culture in an organization? Okay, that's, that's about 10 great questions for the next three hours, Cass. Uh, I would start by saying that a, to- a leader doesn't have to necessarily create a toxic environment for the company and its employees and its sustainability mm-hmm. to suffer. I'll give you an example. Many mm-hmm. years ago, before I was in the consulting business, I was the director of acquisitions for a large uh, electronic security company called ADT. Almost everybody's familiar with that global name. Yes. Uh-huh. And at the time, I was recruited directly by the CEO. The company had been, become a monolith. It was the only pure play public company uh, providing electronic security in the country. Mm-hmm. And so they did things the way they always did them. And I was brought to the offices. Uh, I was living in Florida. They brought me up, and I reported directly to the CEO. And in the first week I was there, on a Friday afternoon uh, during the summertime, it was about June, it was about mm-hmm. uh, maybe uh, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, the CEO, who's office was in the furthest corner of the of this floor we had the full floor and he had to walk all the way across to get to the exit well he came walking across that entire floor with hundreds of people and he was wearing tennis whites and i i just didn't understand this but weeks went by and every week he did the same thing Mm -hmm. and then what i saw was that everybody would leave 15 minutes after he left so a very very large public company had most of their headquarters staff leave at 3.15 every Friday afternoon. When you look at the loss of productivity from that, it was staggering how much money was being just cast away because he set the tone. It was okay to leave. And, of course, mm-hmm. he had to know that everybody was leaving shortly after he left. Now, this was a very amicable guy. He was a mm-hmm. nice guy, and he was a very smart guy. But the culture that was instilled in the company – was worse, I think, than even he thought, because if we take a a term that's been around for quite a while, but it's being used more frequently now because of Google's Mm -hmm. research into what makes teams work, the psychological safety, if you will, there there was no psychological safety, which means that people didn't feel free to voice their opinion, to criticize one another in a constructive way, Mm -hmm. or to come up with an idea if they thought it wasn't going to be received well. And most of this was because of the way the company was set up. It had 12 vice presidents running 12 different silos. Each of them did not care about what the other's benefits or or lack thereof occurred because of their own work. Everybody was in it for themselves. Mm -hmm. 
So they and were cross, working at cross-purpose as opposed to working in collaboration. Absolutely, because the culture was every man for himself. And because yeah. there was no psychological safety, people within those groups would never, ever tell their boss, the VP of that mm -hmm. particular silo, what was wrong, how they can improve things. Nobody disagreed with anybody. It was unsafe to do so. As long as you got along, your, your job was safe. Very few people got fired for being incompetent, and there was a lot of incompetency and a lot of dead wood. I came along with the mm -hmm. mandate from the CEO to be a disruptor. So in okay. my first planning committee meeting with 12 VPs, and I was only a director, which of course didn't make any of them feel happy about it, <laughs> I had a list of things I had compiled after my first month. And I said, these are things we have to do to become a sustainable, profitable company as the mm -hmm. competition is getting much bigger around us and they're breathing down our backs. I was shot down on every one of the points I brought up. And there By were probably everybody? 10 of them. Everybody shot me down. Everybody okay. defended everybody else. Nobody would speak badly or poorly of anybody else's group. And the CEO and the president just sat there and listened. They didn't defend anybody, but they also didn't ask any more questions. Going short story on this, I decided to do an LBO of this company about a year after I was there because okay. it just wasn't changing. And as I didn't win the LBO race because there was another company that could pay more money because of their tax status in uh, the Virgin Islands. But mm -hmm. uh, in any case, when the company was bought, every single measure that I had tried to put in place, and there mm -hmm. were 10 of them, were executed within a month of the purchase by the new company. And one of them was getting ADT into the mass market, which made them a multi-billion dollar company. It was my idea, but I couldn't move it forward as long as the culture was as it was under the old leadership. As soon as there was a new owner, and it was a one guy, he was a very wealthy guy, he could make any changes he wanted, and he did. And so you could have a transformational experience with culture uh, through a buyout, through an acquisition. But a yes. lot of companies, the momentum to stay the same, the resistance to change is so great that it doesn't matter what the CEO does unless there's a wholesale change and it comes from the top and it's a sustainable effort and it's a thoughtful effort and you get mm -hmm. people involved, culture change just does not happen. I totally agree with you. And ultimately, that's why the tone at the top becomes so important. And it's strange that a publicly traded company could make the impact needed, but then a leverage buyout happens and there is one person in charge and that person has the ability to set the tone. And that reminds me, you know, the entire subprime crisis question. And those days I used to work for one of the banks, actually, I'll name the bank HSBC, and HSBC had entered the U.S. marketplace buying household finance, which was an indicted predatory lender. And I watched in horror how the toxic culture of that subprime indicted predatory lender completely took over the HSBC culture. And eventually HSBC actually got involved in this subprime. Today HSBC doesn't play in that uh, mortgage marketplace but it got there because it didn't stop and take a look at the toxicity that was spreading because it didn't put an end 
to the culture of household. They kept all the senior people and they helped those people drive the decisions. So I've lived through it. I totally hear how tone at the top can definitely set the stage for success or failure. So piggybacking on the earlier thought you were having as part of the second branch of the conversation, the, the need of cultural diversity and how do you deal with diversity in an organizational culture. Do you want to elaborate that and build on your thought there, Bill? Well, when it comes to cultural diversity, that again is a term that needs to be defined. Diversity mm-hmm. could, be, it could be the type of, uh, it could be a ethnicity, it can be gender-based, it can be culturally-based, people from different countries. Uh, there are a lot of factors that come into it, more so, of course, on the international side than on the mm-hmm. American side. But that's a great lead into a, a situation with Lenovo uh, computers. Uh, most people have heard of Lenovo. They became a household name in this country when they, years ago, they bought out IBM's uh, PC business, their, their laptop business. And they did very well with it. The chairman, Mr. Yang, did a tremendous job of uh, building on that brand. He was able to keep the IBM name for, for quite a while, and uh, it was a very successful story. So successful that he thought he had found the key to success buying American companies. But a couple of years ago, uh, Lenovo bought the Motorola phone company, which uh-huh. was at that point owned by Google, and you know that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And. Google sold him a company that was operating well, the phones were popular, and Lenovo thought they would have the same success. Well, it turns out that over just a span of two or three years, Lenovo cut virtually 95% of the staff they inherited when they bought the company. And Mm -hmm. not because of automation or because of some spectacular ability to produce the phones cheaper elsewhere. They changed the name of the company, they changed the name of the phone, they dropped certain lines, and it was just a disaster. And in fact, for the first time in many years, it put Lenovo into negative profit history, uh, which they're just coming out of. But the fact is, they've basically written off their entire Motorola uh, investment. And when Mr. Yang was interviewed just a couple of months ago, I think it was by the New York Times or Wall Street Journal, he said, and I, I, I paraphrase, but close to a quote, Mm-hmm. We, mis- we, we underestimated the culture clash that would occur between Lenovo and Motorola, well, to say the least. Uh, you know, when, when you're that big a company, you can, you can uh, afford and absorb a multi-billion dollar loss. But what mm-hmm. the bigger impact is, is that we've lost thousands of jobs that Motorola had in place in this country. So there's yes. an example mm-hmm. of how cultural diversity did not work. How mm-hmm. could they have done it better? probably by moving slower, by getting a better understanding of the Motorola workforce and how they work, uh, how they work together, how they collaborated, before Mm -hmm. they just moved everything over to Lenovo's headquarters. So many lessons learned, but I'm not sure that people are out there not repeating the same mistakes over and over. I know. That's funny you say that. Uh, And Chicago, Chicago land was home of Motorola. So we actually felt the tremendous impact. Let's go into break, come back and pick up this conversation. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. If you are looking for an outstanding keynote speaker, look no further than Dr. Cass Henry. 
Cass is available to speak to your company. She also offers organizational leadership development seminars and workshops. These seminars can integrate learning and development, customer service, processes, and financial growth. Positive, motivated employees care about their customers and work products. Visit CassHenry.com or follow Dr. Cass Henry on Facebook. That's CassHenry.com for more information. Organizational training does not have to be a difficult job. Visit Dr. Cass Henry's site to find out more about her organizational training curriculum development and global organizational training webinars. These informative webinars cover leadership development, career path and succession planning, financial performance improvement and change management, and corporate finance. For more information, please visit CassHenry.com and follow Cass Henry on Facebook. That's CassHenry.com. It's time to access your magic. Tune in each week to Living in the Magic of Possibilities with your host, Glenice Hughes. Our topics cover finances, personal health, business, relationships, mediumship, and so much more. If you want to access all that is possible in your life, listen to Glenice and her expert guests who've turned the impossible into the possible. Living in the Magic of Possibilities is heard live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks, How to Get It Just Right. To reach Dr. Cass Henry or her guest today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Henry at hotmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Unleashed in a Goldilocks, How to Get It Just Right. We will continue our conversation on organizational culture with my guest and a professional friend, Bill. Bill, we were just talking about the Lenovo example and how um, the toxicity and the negativity can start actually eroding the success of a company and why to take it slow and plan and strategize is important. And... As we come off of the Lenovo Motorola conversation, what are your thoughts on how good companies that have a positive culture can kind of fall off the wagon? And how do they then find a way to get back to where they used to be? Because never making a mistake is not normal, right? Sometimes things happen. All right, Cash, I think you teed that one up for me. Uh, many years ago, I was a consultant to the... Uh, the senior leadership of Home Depot, based out of Atlanta, Georgia. When I got to the company, uh, I was hired in, I was retained by a a regional president who uh, ran the Southwest, Southeast and Southwest, which was their biggest region at the time. And this guy was one of the best leaders I'd ever seen in my life. This was a guy who inspired people, who trusted them, made them accountable, but gave them all the room in the world to grow. 
And all that company was doing at the time was growing. And uh, this fellow was just truly uh, one of the best mentors I ever had in learning how to pick the best people and let them do what they have to do. So Home Depot was having a pretty good run under the founding and leadership of Arthur Blank and Bernie Marcus. Uh, some people will know Arthur Blank is the guy that owns the Atlanta Falcon football team. And okay. eventually, they decided to uh, leave active management, and they brought in a guy, the board brought in a guy named Nardelli, who had been a senior executive at uh, GE and uh, at their power process company or their power company. And uh, Nardelli decided that he was going to employ the exact same tactics that made him successful at GE, and he was going to take those tactics and his strategies and lay them on top of Home Depot. But Home Depot had a fantastic, one of the, possibly one of the all-time best cultures. People worked hard. They were rewarded for working hard. They moved up quickly, and uh, it was a fantastic time. Stockholders doing well. Shareholders were doing well. Stakeholders, consumers, everybody was doing well. Nardelli came in and pretty much, and, and you know, you'll find people that will agree or disagree with me on, on his uh, tenure, but over the next seven years, uh, he completely changed the culture from one based on trust and relationships to a metric or quantitative-driven uh, set of strategies, mm-hmm. which certainly needed to be done because it was going to hold Home Depot back. But at the same time, he never held on to what was really working. Okay. And when you talk about culture, I think the most important thing is that people trust each other. Because if people trust each other, then you have a built-in psychological safety system, Definitely. if you will, where people can talk mm-hmm. to each other, disagree with each other, find the best way forward, and accomplish their goals together. Nardelli mm-hmm. took that away from them. And by doing so, he certainly did place uh, very important technical uh, innovations into the Home Depot uh, infrastructure, but at the same mm-hmm. time, uh, he just disabled the, the culture that built that company. Uh, Bernie Marcus and Arthur Blank were gone. There was no more father figure. There was no more excitement. Everybody was now not being driven because they were self-motivated, but because they were motivated to save their jobs. And people became mm-hmm. less interested in finding better ways to do things. They just did whatever Nardelli said. And, and that's uh, such a shame. And finally, you know, it, after seven years of that, the company uh, had... You know, some metrics were good based on Nardelli's leadership, but many of them were bad, and the board forced him out. They fired him. And, you know, there's been no shortage of articles and books written about the experience of Nardelli at uh, Home Depot. But after Mm -hmm. he was fired, they had to rebuild the culture. They now had the technical infrastructure, but they had lost customer service. Lowe's Mm -hmm. was competing very strongly with them and still does. And they lost a huge uh, tactical competitive advantage against Lowe's during the time that Nardelli was there. At least that's what I will offer up. Now, since 2007, uh, they've done very well. Lowe's has done very well. Home Depot is back to the kind of almost the levels of customer service they used to have. You ask a question, where is something? They'll bring you down the aisle. And they've gone to staff up stores again over the last seven, eight years. Uh, Nardelli took away the human interaction and what everybody has learned from that is how important it is to treat people right and how important it is to have people trust their leaders and have them trust each other. I know, um, and that is such a hard thing to earn once you've lost it because nobody wants to give up, you know, give that trust and get hurt 
the old saying, shame, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, right? And so exactly. organizational uh, memory is so large. Like folklore, it gets passed on even to the new employees who are never part of that experience. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that Warren Buffett, you know, has, I don't think he coined the term or, or, or quoted it, but it, it's, it's well established that he has said it as well. And that is, it takes a lifetime to build a reputation, five minutes mm-hmm. to ruin it. Yes. And that goes with the culture of a corporation as well, or any type of organization. Uh, yes. Leadership yep. does matter. And uh, I think that, you know, it's important when you speak about culture, and uh, let's get back to the banks and, and the fine example that you uh, set for us. Uh, another situation with psychological safety is that it's great to be in groups of people within a company where you can speak safely, where you can disagree, put out ideas, be shot down, but, but not uh, be defeated by your, your collaborators. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's another side that people talk about when it comes to psychological safety. And uh, I want to make sure I got the name. The, yeah, a fellow named uh, Alex uh, Fredera, who okay. was, uh, wrote an uh, article in Quartz. And he talked about a, uh, a couple of professors that uh, he knew, and he wrote about their studies. And they put a bunch of uh, students, graduate students, into a uh, course where they self-evaluated. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that the stronger the, the psychological safety effect was for that group, the more mm-hmm. likely they were to cheat because they knew that nobody would rat them out. That's true. So, the group thing sets in, they protect each other like kids, right? Exactly. And the same thing would probably be equally applicable towards the Wells Fargo debacle where you had those thousands of employees opening up accounts that were ghost accounts. They weren't approved. Mm-hmm. And that's because they felt that they not only did they have to do it, but that in their groups, nobody was going to individually rat them out. And so it went on and on and on. So the other thing I have seen, the other thing I have seen in situations like that is people also get together. And if they don't like the changes that are coming, uh, this is a real story. I'm not going to mention the name of the organization, but what I heard the employees say is this too shall pass, even though it feels like a kidney stone right now. All we have to do is go to meetings and say yes and then do nothing. And then the senior team is going to fail and they'll bring another batch of jokers in so the circus can continue. That's very funny. I haven't heard that phrase in a long time, but that phrase was also used at one of the companies that I was uh, working for. And when nothing would get done and nobody wanted to do anything, they would just say, this too shall pass. The CEO will get tired of this subject and move on to something else. Mm Mm-hmm. So the, the question is, how do you get great companies then? And you work with very large companies. You're working with a very large one now. How do you get large companies that need cultural transformation? How, in your experience, do you, you get that happening? How do you get the ball rolling, at least? My experience is that I need to get directly engaged with the tone setters one-on-one and earn their trust and win them over. And because I go in a consultative capacity and I am not competing with anybody for their jobs, they feel more secure. One of the biggest troubles I had working in the private sector full-time is that everybody thought of me as competition, that I'm coming to get their job. The advantage I have as a consultant is that upfront they know, and I'm very clear in letting them know my job is to make them successful. I'm not gunning for their job. So that creates a kind of safety net 
and over time proving to them that what they are going to get from this is only going to help their careers. And little by little, people start putting their guards down. So it does take time. It takes time and the burden is on me. But I'm okay to do that because I'm also, I consider myself partly an educator, partly as a practitioner. And because I go into every situation as a educationer, educator and a practitioner, I think I have a better chance. And my personality has something to do with it too. I'm very direct, but I'm very direct in a more nurturing way as opposed to just rock them, sock them, blow them up, and let's be as direct as I want to be. Remind, so me I, of the, the, remind me of the story. Sorry, Cash. Remind me of the story where you were with one of your clients and they needed to staff up quickly and they asked you to, to do that? Oh, yes, yes. Let's, let's have that conversation as soon as we come back from break because I definitely want to bring that up and that brings up a good opportunity for us to talk about how language is culture. Build a better business, achieve that goal, make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate, change, succeed. If you are looking for an outstanding keynote speaker, look no further than Dr. Cass Henry. Cass is available to speak to your company. She also offers organizational leadership development seminars and workshops. These seminars can integrate learning and development, customer service, processes, and financial growth. Positive, motivated employees care about their customers and work products. Visit CassHenry.com or follow Dr. Cass Henry on Facebook. That's CassHenry.com for more information. Organizational training does not have to be a difficult job. Visit Dr. Cass Henry's site to find out more about her organizational training curriculum development and global organizational training webinars. These informative webinars cover leadership development, career path and succession planning, financial performance improvement and change management, and corporate finance. For more information, please visit CassHenry.com and follow Cass Henry on Facebook. That's CassHenry.com. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions, some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You're listening to Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks. How to get it just right. To reach Dr. Cass Henry or her guest today... 
please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to drcasshenry at hotmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Unleash Ayana Goldilocks, How to Get It Just Right. We begin, uh, we pick up our conversation with uh, Bill. Uh, Bill, as we went off the break, we were going to talk about how language determines culture. And the story I always tell is my first job in the United States at AT&T. Here I was sitting as the new head of finance and business operations at a budget meeting. And everybody looks at me and says, Cass, we need some bodies. It's your job to get us some bodies. Where are you going to get them? How are you going to make sure we get some bodies? And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my God, if they're talking about people, never in my entire young adult professional life have I ever heard people being referred to as bodies, but I'm going to play with this. Because I can always say English is my third language, right? So I have a fallback position. We can laugh about it. So I just went with my gut and said, have you ever tried the morgue? (laughs) <laughs> and the shock in their faces, and they all burst out laughing, and they said, oh, Cass, you do not understand the American English. We, we, While we all speak English, it's a little different in America. When we say bodies, we mean people. We need people to come and do work. You know, like butts on seats. I'm like, oh, really? So do we really care if those bodies, the butts on seats, have a heart that cares about what they are doing and what we are doing and for whom we are doing it? Do you really care if they have a brain that functions to help us take to the next level and be innovative and solve our problems? So I use that tongue-in-cheek in a way to create a conversation that how we talk about our people behind our closed doors is how we're going to treat them when we walk out there. And we better be very, very careful how we talk behind doors because that's the culture we are building and we can't pretend it doesn't exist. And I always Absolutely. say this as an example. Absolutely, Cass. And, you know, that reminds me that when we, you know, th- this subject matter was, is really uh, a good three-day seminar. But what culture also impacts greatly is mm-hmm. the ethics of an organization. And it doesn't take much for the cultural values of a particular company or a particular leadership style to filter down into the organization itself. And... I remember there's a a great quote from uh, Charlie Munger, who's the uh, vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway. And he was giving a uh, a lecture or a speech uh, to the Harvard Business, uh, the uh, Harvard Law School, where he came out of. And he said that uh, he was dismayed by how many companies made decisions based on whether or not they were legal as opposed to whether or not they were ethical. Ethical. Mm -hmm. And... I know many, many companies that feel the same way. They check with their general counsel, and if it's legal, they move forward with it. And it's a very slippery slippery slope. Uh Uh, Thank you. Very slippery slope because, and so is saying it, because once people become attuned that it's okay to do something, it just keeps, they keep moving the borders if it's going to help their career yes. or if they're mm-hmm. told to do something. And, and, and another thing about culture when it comes to ethics is if a leader uses positional authority mm-hmm. over his subordinates rather than good leadership, ethical, 
uh, sustainable, excellent leadership. Instead of that, they use mm-hmm. positional authority, which I'm sure you've seen many people, many leaders do oh, at all levels of, of the organization. Mm-hmm. What you get are people that will do things that they might not have ordinarily done. These are people that will break bad because of the culture leading to the poor, the poor ethics or the uh, ambiguous ethics of a company. And that mm-hmm. leads me to one of my most favorite quotes of all when it comes to corporate ethics, which was a quote by Upton Sinclair, who is most famous for writing a book uh, called The Jungle. Mm-hmm. Uh, this quote's from a different book, but he said, it's difficult to get a man to understand something if his salary depends upon him not understanding it. And that is so many people do what they are told to do because they have to pay the bills. They have to pay the mortgage. They have to feed the kids. Mm -hmm. They have to pay the car insurance. And those type of situations are much less rare than people believe. And it's another reason why the positive side of psychological safety within a corporation, within an organization, Mm -hmm. is so important. People have to be able to speak up and speak out when they see something that they believe doesn't reach an ethical standard. Definitely. And we live in a society where everybody hates regulation. I always bring this topic up when leadership and ethics are uh, somehow threaded into the topic of discussion. If we are a country that hates regulation, then why are we creating so many economically devastating ethical lapses, which then forces laws to be put in place? Because if we're truly only a nation of law and absolutely no morality, then everything has to be legislated and morality cannot be legislated, right? So at some point, we are going to start tripping on ourselves. We are never going to be able to unleash our best potential, And we will continue to get in our way as a culture, organizationally and societally, because politics and winning at all cost becomes the norm. And how we got there doesn't matter. It's kind of similarly where we see white collar crimes are not as punished as blue collar crimes, right? Regular crimes. And that is cultural. And so for somebody who comes from a different part of the world where I don't have student loans, we have a social structure where the family supports, uh, you know, young people. And so we don't have some of those financial burdens and we are trained when we are young to do the right thing. And so the financial burden does not become the yardstick based on which we decide which way the pendulum is going to swing. There's no question that financial uh, uh, burdens uh, on people in business do have them make decisions they might not ordinarily make. But I would also argue that the culture of the organization is what allows them, generally speaking, to make those poor decisions. That the ethical standards have either been ill-defined or have Mm -hmm. been broken, and therefore people will pretty much do what they have to do to keep their jobs. But what you say can be placed exactly at the feet of the Great Recession beginning back in 2007 and the housing crash and the financial crisis because of a lack of ethics. Uh, While the banks were trying to tell everybody how much compliance uh, uh, they have in place, how many risk uh, officers they have in place, uh, how many other regulations they have to uh, be abiding by, really what they were doing was convincing themselves that they were risk adverse, while at the same time, the mountain was about to fall down on them, which is exactly what happened. 
and you can trace almost all of it back to, to ethics, lack of ethics, yes. which had to do with the culture of the investment banks and the large banks mm-hmm. that were doing subprime lending. Yes, and I'm so glad we are coming to a point where we can end this conversation on ethics because it is near and dear to my heart, it's near and dear to your heart. And I cannot believe, Bill, we have pretty much talked through the entire time of the show, but I definitely want to bring you back and have a more detailed conversation about some of these topics that we barely touched on. Uh, It has been an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show. Likewise, thank you for having me, Cass. It it has been a pleasure and, and went way too fast. I know. Time flies, and especially when we are having fun, but definitely look forward to bringing you back and continuing this conversation because I know for sure my audience are going to get tremendous amount of value from such insights. And as we close, I really want to take a moment and thank my audience for coming back and being a part of Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks, how to get it just right. And remember, Every human interaction is an opportunity for our transformation. So let's go out there and transform lives. And don't forget to start with your own. Thank you for tuning in to Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks, How to Get It Just Right. Please join Dr. Cass Henry again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another edition of the program. We'll see you then.